Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. So we are in Colossians chapter 3 is where we are ultimately going to end. I'm going to take a couple of detours to get there first, but Colossians 3, if you've got your Bible or want to turn it on or what have you, you can kind of land there. We're walking through the book of Colossians in this series called Live Loud, where Paul is writing a letter to new Christians, new followers of Christ in the town of Colossae. And back in that day, there was no internet, there were no Bibles, there were no concordances, there no way really to study. And so it was very easy for a guy that could be a great communicator or maybe do some magic tricks. Like, I've amazed audiences for years with this magic trick. So I'll just focus in for just saying, I know you're looking for Colossians 3, but I'm just going to show you, um, just for the sake of presentation, I want to show you magic trick. You guys ready? All right, see this? Good? Everybody good? You awake? All right, so. All right. Yeah, see, right there. <laughs> see, a guy can, I love you. I love you right there, that's it. Thanks for coming today. You don't even have to stay for the rest of it. You got the best of it. So, um, so a guy could come through and do crazy magic tricks, right? And, and it would amaze audiences and they would listen. And most of Christian education, most of theology or the study of God was handed down, like maybe somebody knew John. And John would teach them about Jesus, what they knew. Or somebody knew Peter and they learned from Peter or, or Paul. Paul had a lot of discipleship, disciples that he poured into. And so a lot of Christian education was just handed down from preaching to preaching and story to story to story to story. And so traveling preachers would come through and, and, and maybe they had good hearts, maybe they had good intentions, but sometimes they had wrong theology. And, and one of the things that specifically addressed in this book of Colossians is, hey, you guys need to be worshiping angels too. And there were other theological things like that that Paul just said, you know what, it's, I've never met the Christians in Colossae, so I better write him a letter. And I just want to center them on Jesus. I want to give them some truth. Maybe keep this letter that they can pull out and, and have from time to time as reference. So we started week one in, in chapter one where Paul's just encouraging them. He's like, hey, I've never met you, but I've heard your reputation. That's where we got the whole title for this series, Live Loud, because I believe that's what God wants for us. We want to live loud with our life for Jesus, not in an offensive way, not in an accusatory way, but let our faith, hope, and love, let it be so evident that we are living loud for Jesus. Amen, everybody? This is going to be fun today. Y'all up in the house. And then the second week, we talked about this almost beautiful song that Paul wrote. And I don't know how you learned the ABCs, but I learned them by singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And so there's this idea of sometimes we learn big ideas or, or concepts by attaching them to songs. I taught my kids my cell phone number by attaching it to Jingle Bells. It's a thing. Well, he writes this beautiful Christian hymn that's at the bottom of Colossians chapter 1, and he's teaching them there's just some depth and beauty and theology about who Jesus is. Last week, we talked about this formula for living a Christian life. Living a happy Christian life. Everybody, who doesn't want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. And so Paul just gives us some principles that if you will do this, your life will just overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving. So you can go back on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, you can go on our website, and you can catch up on all of those. Today is a formula for how to live a powerful Christian life. 
a little bit different than living a happy Christian life, but, but I believe the Holy Spirit, through our relationship with Him, that God wants you and I to be people of power. There's a, there's a power to tap into. And so again, there's kind of this formula, there's these principles that we need to tap into. One of the things that I love about Colossians, Ephesians is very much similar to that. The book of Philippians is very similar. That even though they're very short books of the Bible, because they were really only letters written to that group of Christians, they're very practical. Paul wrote them in a way that it didn't go on and on and on and on and on, but he just gave them some very practical. Every chapter in the book of Colossians has some very practical Christian living. So before I get to Colossians 3, which is where we're going to land, I want to start in the Gospels. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to read you a story where Jesus has this encounter with a man who was not a Hebrew. He wasn't Jewish. He's actually a Roman soldier. And I want to just take this story with Jesus and lay Paul's principles of powerful living on top of that. Are you ready? Say, yeah, I'm ready. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, or Capernaum, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off, right? A Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Jesus said, all right, I'll come. Show me the way, I'll heal him. But the Roman officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. There's laundry everywhere. You should see the couch, the flower beds. I'm talking about my house, right? You know, so just say the word from right here where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, or a better term, there would be servants, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He's turning around all of his followers, like his disciples were there. And he said, I tell you, I tell you what. I mean, it's how we say it in Oklahoma. I tell you what, you know. He says, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. All of the descendants of Abraham. All the Jews who are deeply committed to their faith, all the religious leaders, all of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. He says, in all of Israel, I haven't seen this kind of faith. Well, I want that kind of faith. Verse 13, when Jesus, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, all right, you can go back home. Because you believed, then it's happened. And then it says this, the young servant was healed that same hour. Like when he gets back, he asks, well, what time was the boy healed? And it was the same hour, the same time that Jesus said, all right, go back, because you believe it's happened. Pretty interesting story. A person from the Roman culture, actually Roman military officer that understands order and structure and honor and respect because that's the way the Roman military was built. He comes to Jesus for help. All right, let's go. And he's like, no, 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 Jesus, that's not, that's not necessary. I understand authority. I'm a man of authority. I'm a man of structure. And like, I tell my men to go, and it happens. So Jesus, you don't need to go with me. All you have to do is just say the word, and because I understand structure, and I understand authority, and I understand the authority that you have, Jesus, I believe it will happen. And Jesus, like in all the people of Israel, 
all the descendants of Abraham. I've not met anybody that has this kind of faith. I've not any, met anybody that understands the power of order, structure, authority. And so the Roman understood something in the kingdom of God that I think the people of Israel were missing, and that's honor and authority, structure. I want to look at that power. I want to tap into that power that that Roman officer tapped into that day that actually got saved his servant's life. And so in this part of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he gives some instruction about the relationships that are closest to us, our immediate relationships, the people we spend the most time with. And I'm just going to tell you up front, these instructions are not easy. I just want to be honest with you. What I'm going to tell you today in 2021, in the United States of America, what, what we're going to read today is not popular. There are numerous critics that would say, oh, well, that's old-fashioned. That doesn't matter anymore. But Paul addresses these relationships with people that we spend most of our time with. And, and what's interesting about all these relationships and the things that they have in common, and I was really looking for a, a label for them, a title for them, how to describe them, and I came up short. But it almost feels like these relationships are almost forced relationships. Meaning, I didn't have a say who my dad was. I was forced into that relationship. I didn't have a say who my mom was. I just, as an infant baby, I just developed in her womb. These are relationships by their own nature that we're going to have to work through some stuff. We're not going to like it at times. It's going to be hard at times. And so these are principles that Paul gives to get you through that tension, to get you through those hard times. And yes, I, I may not have a, a choice in who my mom is, and I may not have a choice in, in who my kids are or what have you. And, and sure, I can quit the relationship, or, or maybe I can quit my job, or I can quit my marriage. But we know this, that quitting is destructive. So when you take all of this that Paul talks about and, and gives some powerful principles about our life, and you lay them on top of what this Roman soldier discovered that day in his conversation with Jesus, I think it just builds this beautiful equation for spiritual, powerful principles that I want in my life, and I hope you want them in your life too. So let's land in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 18 is where I want to start. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Mm-hmm. As is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents. One guy in the last service, back row, amen! Like he just got all excited about that, right? For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Verse 22, the word New Living translates as slaves really probably should be translated as servants so we get the full context and understanding of what it is. Servants, employees, obey your masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're there, not when they're watching, not when they have the ring camera on and you know you're supposed to behave. You know what I'm saying? Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord instead of people, regardless of who signs your paycheck, regardless of the name on the check, act like you're working for the Lord. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what's wrong, 
Expect to be paid back for what's wrong. Like if you do the wrong thing, expect that there are earthly negative consequences that go along with those actions. For God has no favorites. Meaning looking down and oh, oh, there's Kelly down there. He is, I know he's being naughty, but you know what? He's one of my favorites. No consequences, it's fine. God doesn't play favorites. If you do bad things, there are bad consequences that come your way. Is there forgiveness in Christ? Yes and amen. But when we do the wrong thing, there are still consequences that go with that. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, be just and fair to your servants or your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. These relationships. These are all relationships that we've got to figure out. At times there's tension between parents and their kids or husbands and wives or employees and bosses. And Paul gives each one of these players some pretty simple instructions. Like if you do this, it will take care of a lot of that tension in that relationship. If you'll, if you'll do this in your role, there's, there's a power there that, that is really going to represent you well, and more importantly, it's going to represent your Jesus well. So I, can I get old-fashioned for just a little bit? Like I can get a hanky out and wipe it and like, you know, but I, I just, I just want to be a little bit old-fashioned for a second. Because going back to the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve and what my kids' children's Bible used to call the sneaky snake, in that moment when, when the serpent tries to, to get Adam and Eve to eat the fruit, what does he do? He attacks the Word of God. He tries to get them to question the God's Word didn't really say that. God's Word doesn't really mean that. He's attacking the Word of God. And since that day, there has been an attack on the Word of God and the truth of God and the principles of God. People would say it's not relevant, that the Word of God is old-fashioned. It's not culturally relevant to us anymore. And listen, I'm just here to tell you, as Christians, we need to be thermostats, not thermometers. Because thermometers reflect the temperature in the room, but the thermostat dictates the temperature in the room. And so we don't need to reflect what's going on in the culture. We need to stand true to the Word of God, to the principles of God. And I believe this with all my heart. If we will do that, we will change the culture around us, not give in to the culture around us. Maybe this is the reason why Christians, and maybe this is the reason why the church feels so powerless, is we have missed these principles because the culture has pushed, oh, well, that's old-fashioned. Oh, that's not relevant anymore. And I'm just telling you today, let's stand strong, Christians, in love, and let's stand on the Word of God with our life and with our home and with our marriage, and that's a good place to say amen. Y'all fired up today. Come on, girl. I'm with you. We need to let these principles lead our life, not pressure. One of the things God's been working on me, don't, don't let pressure lead. Let principles lead your life. So I want to give you three principles today that I really believe are a secret to powerful living and tap into that same power that that Roman officer who understood authority and respect and order and structure, I want to tap into that for your life. The first principle, actually found in, in verse 18, it says, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the, to the Lord. So the first principle is the power of submission. The power of submission. And culture around us today in North America in 2021, we don't submit to anything. 
Culture would tell you, well, this verse isn't relative anymore because it's oppressive. Don't do it, ladies. I mean, that, that's what the world around you would say. There's an incredible book. It, it's called by Dr. Emerson Egrich. I won't ask you to spell it. Google can figure it out, right? You know what I'm saying? It's an, it's an older book. And it unpacks some of these principles that I'm going to talk about today. It unpacks this power at work in your marriage. Okay, and so in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, just like the church in Colossae, his letter to the church in Ephesus, he talks about this same idea of wives submit to your husbands. He goes a little bit more in detail in his uh, letter to the Ephesians. So Ephesians 5, if I could borrow from there, it goes right along with Colossians 3. He says, before he gets into wives and husbands, he says, therefore submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, is this idea of mutual submission. I yield to you and you yield to me. I mean, it's just hard to have a fight when I don't always have to have my way. Or do you want to eat? I don't care, buttercup. I just want to be with you. Oh, honey buns, really, where do you want to eat? I don't care. You know, how do you, I mean, the only fight happens is like, 10 minutes later when you're going back, just pick already! You know what I'm saying? You lose your Jesus. And so, how do, I mean, it is just hard to fight when I give my life and my breath and my time and my energy and my resources to make sure Jerry is happy, which she would say, amen. It's not that good. It's good. So this whole principle begins, I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm going to make sure that you have what you need, that you're happy, and, and I'm, out of my love for Christ, I'm going to do that. So he begins this whole principle with this idea of mutual submission. If that makes sense, say yeah. All right, verse 22, he says, for wives, this means submit to your husband. I'm going to explain why he says this, and it, I hope in our time together at the end of that, this will make sense. Ah, okay, so he says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And I love Pastor Joe and Debbie's illustration. Joe might be the head, but Debbie's the neck, and she controls where it turns. You know what I'm saying? That's good right there. For he is the Savior of his body, talking about Christ, the Savior of the church. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. I would say that's a good place to say amen, but let me explain it first before we get a little carried away, Right? Because that doesn't sound like any fun. And there's always this question. Well, what if my husband's a jerk? Well, why did you marry him? I'm sorry, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, what if he's a jerk? Is your husband a jerk? No. But what if he is, you know? Well, was he a jerk when you married him? No, he wasn't a jerk when I married him. Mm-hmm. And you made him the jerk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll just preach from down now. I'm good. I'm good. Let me, let me be clear. Colossians, Ephesians, Scripture, the Bible in its entirety, is never, ever to be used to justify abuse, to take advantage of, to oppress another individual. Like even as I was reading Colossians 3 and that word slave versus servant popped up, centuries ago, people would use those passages to justify slavery. That's wrong. Scripture is never intended 
be used. And some of you maybe have been in relationships where there was abuse that was present. And, and I'm just telling you, that's a whole different conversation than what we're walking through this morning. That, that gets an asterisk to deal with because scripture is never a permission to take advantage or to oppress some woman, you better obey me. That, that's not how this works. Number one, that's wrong because there's no mutual submission there. And all of this conversation began with the idea of mutual submission. And then number two, that's not loving. And we're gonna get to that in just a moment. So I wanna go back to this sneaky snake in the garden. I wanna go back to when the serpent was deceiving Adam and Eve. He was attacking the word of God. They fell for it. They bought the lie. They bit the fruit. And then the Bible says that God came walking through the garden looking for them, but Adam and Eve, after they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked. And so they hid from God. And finally, when he finds them and he's like, you know, he hands out punishment. They disobeyed. There's justice for our actions. And so as he's handing out punishment, he says to Adam, Adam, you had the easy life, brother man. Like, guys, if you don't, enjoy going to work, you can thank your boy Adam for that because like all we had to do was lay around and eat grapes and pet the wild cheetahs that were tame. You know what I'm saying? Thanks for that, Adam. And then he talks to the serpent and he says, because you did this, you're gonna crawl around on your belly the rest of your life. And then he talks to Eve. And so I want you to see something here. So it's a great story. You can read it in Genesis chapter three, okay? And so as he's talking to Eve, and he's handing out their correction, and he's handing out their, uh, their discipline. He says this, I will cause hostility between you, he's talking to the serpent and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. This is why people hate snakes, amen. It's biblical, it's here, okay? The only good snake's a dead snake, right? Um, don't email me, it's fine. I know chicken snakes are fine, it's fine, right? He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. One of the first prophecies about Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb for three days, but when he resurrected, he overcame the power of death and sin. In that moment, he crushed Satan's head. One of the first prophecies about Jesus. Then he says to the woman, verse 16, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Ladies, right now, let's just give the Lord some praise for an upper girl, you know, amen, right? And so then he says this, and you will desire to control your husband, but instead, he's gonna rule over you. From the beginning, in the garden, back to the fall of man, back when they sinned. Women, part of the curse there is this inborn push against your husband as the head of your home. Eve's fault, blame her. That and the pain and childbirth. But from that moment, there's just this, this push against male authority as the husband, as the head of the house. And so you can give in to that internal desire and you're gonna tell me what to do and that's oppressive and your life will be full of strife and turmoil or you can do what scripture compels over and over and over, and you can tap into the power of submission. Wives, submit. There is power in submission. There is security in submission. You saw it when the Roman soldiers submitted to Jesus, right? 
And you see it in these scriptures. You see it in the structure of the home. And to those who would say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. There's two parts to this equation. And if you take only this part, wives submit to your husbands, and that's all there is, if you just stop reading right there, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. But that's not how it handled. That's why Paul hands out instructions to everyone. Wives, you need to submit to your husband the power of submission. And then secondly, he talks about the power of love. That's the second part of this equation. You can find it in Ephesians chapter 5. You can find it in Colossians chapter 3. You can find it in other places. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Never treat them harshly. Buy them roses and jewelry. Take them to nice places to eat. That's embellished a little bit. It's the BKV version. Actually, it's the Jerry Kellogg version. I mean, to be honest with you. Guys, if your wife is going to vulnerably, it's very vulnerable to put somebody above yourself. It's very vulnerable to give power away. And guys, if your wife is going to do that, we need to cherish that tenderly and lovingly. So you get this idea of love and respect. Guys, as you love and care for and protect and cherish your wife, as you do those things, it becomes easy for her to submit and respect. And guys, since we're the head of the household, since we're supposed to be leading the way, then we need to go first. We need to be the one leading the charge. I don't need for her to I need to, need to wait on her to submit to me. I just need to lead the way by loving and cherishing. So men are we're very ego-driven. Don't believe me? Just go watch two 15, 16-year-old boys try to determine pecking order. That's just how men, oh, yeah, that's why football players smash their head and chest against things. We, we love to kill things and cook raw meat on open fire. I have made fire, right? That's just the way men are driven. You can even look at male-dominated institutions. Like years and years and years ago when the military was predominantly a male institution, it was driven by honor and code and respect. hundred years ago when universities were predominantly a male university, they were driven by honor and code and respect. If you got caught cheating on a paper or cheating on an exam, you were done because you broke the code. You broke honor. That's the male ego influence in those institutions. So honor and respect come naturally to men. He did not say, husbands, you need to respect your wife. He didn't say that. You know why he doesn't say it? He doesn't have to. Because men are already respecters by nature. He does say, husbands, you need to love your wife. You know why he says that? Because that's an area we have to work on. And all the women said amen. It's fine, right? By male nature, we are not the nurturing kind. It's not. That's the reason why mamas feed the babies when they're infants. That's why no food comes out of a man's body. We're just not that caring, right? Oh, that's sad. Right? Listen, you can teach an old dog new tricks. We can learn. But guys, we are commanded to learn how to love and nurture our wives and our families because we have to work at that. That's why he tells us to love our wives. But the same holds true for you, ladies. He does not say, ladies, you need to love your husbands. Now, you don't get a pass on that, you know what I'm saying? 
but you're already automatic lovers. You're already automatic bent towards romance and tenderness and, and gentle. You don't, he doesn't have to tell you to do it because you're already doing it. What he says you have to work on, the command he gives you, goes back to the Garden of Eden. He says, ladies, you need to work at honoring and respecting your husband. You need to submit. That's a whole different deal. And because I'm giving away power, and because of the culture we live in, it feels oppressive. You know what I'm saying? It feels like I'm giving my power, and it's being taken away from me. But in a relationship where you are both mutually submitted one to another, and the wife places herself under the leadership of her husband, and her husband places himself under the leadership of Christ, and the husband loves his wife and nurtures his wife and gives himself away for the purpose of his wife, I'm telling you, there is power there. And as Christian homes and families and churches, we are missing this power. God is a God of order and structure and authority. May I remind you, Jesus said, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And when we put our lives in order and structure and authority, it is a powerful thing. But what if I love and she's not very submissive? Or what if I submit and he doesn't give me what I need? Both of those are very common things that I hear. They're both great resistant arguments. They're both great excuses to not do this against this principle that Paul's talking about. And let me just be real. You probably didn't start out like that. You didn't get here overnight. It took years to get. And, and by the way, you won't fix it overnight. But it may have taken you 18 years to get your marriage in the mess but with good hard work and prayer and doing these biblical principles, it may only take 18 months to undo the damage that was done over 18 years, right? And so, I, let me just, if, if, but I love and she doesn't submit, or, or, or I respect him, but he just doesn't give me what I need. What, what do I do? I'm glad you asked that question. So I would first say pray first. Pray first. Don't talk to your girlfriend first. Girl, you will not believe what he said to me on the phone. You know what I'm saying? Don't go to mama. Go to God. Go throw up all over God about your spouse, not somebody else. Okay? Pray first. And don't pray this. Dear Lord, I've been over here loving, and she ain't submitting. God, would you fix her from her head to her toe, Lord? I pray you just heal her, God, that you would just fix that woman that she might submit to me. That is not, don't do that. not what you do. Okay? You pray, God, give me the strength to stay married to that woman. No, don't say that. But Lord, would you, would you give me the strength? God, change me. Focus on you. God, change me. And I know that is easier to laugh about. That's easier to say than it is to do. Then secondly, do the right thing. And keep doing the right thing. My life verse, Galatians 6, 9. That's why I'm an OSU fan. Says, never get tired of doing the right thing, right? Never get tired of doing good, for at the right time, still waiting, at the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing. Don't quit. Don't give up. You're still loving. She's not submitting. Galatians 6, 9, you just keep doing the right thing. You're submitting, but he's not very loving. You just keep doing the good thing. You just keep doing the right thing, because I believe the word of God is living and powerful, and it's true in our lives. And lastly, I would say, trust God to fight your battle. The Holy Spirit can say, 
a whole lot better, a whole lot louder, and a whole lot fewer words. I mean, the Holy Spirit can say in one, one moment what I've been nagging on her for about for seven months. He can fix it in one moment. So let God fight your battles and just trust Him. You plant the good seeds, you do the right thing, you pray first, and then you trust God with the harvest. So then Paul steps outside of marriage. You know, wives need submit, husbands, you need to lead the way in love. And then he talks about other relationships that are, that are outside the intimacy of marriage. And he taps into a third principle, and it's the principle, the power of honor. The power of honor. You will never go wrong with honor. It's what's missing in our culture today. You'll never go wrong with honor, even if it's not deserved. Over in my life, when I look back at some of my biggest mistakes that I've made, it's because I failed to honor. I didn't feel like they deserved it. There's no caveat on this. You'll never go wrong with honor. Colossians 3, verse 20, it says, Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Even when you're adults, kids, all my older parents said amen, right? You know what I'm saying? Children, always obey your parents. Fathers, don't aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. So he gives advice to how to parent. Kids, y'all need to listen to your mom and dad. And then he, then he goes to another layer of relationship. Slaves, better word again, is servants. Obey your earthly master in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're there supervising or watching. Serve them sincerely because you're reverent fear for the Lord. Work diligently at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Like live like Jesus' name is eternally attached on your life. Let work like you're representing Jesus. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance, your reward, and that your master you're serving really is Christ. Regardless of who signs your paycheck, regardless of what name's on your paycheck, act like you were working for Christ. But if you do what's wrong, you can't go crying about it. If you broke the rules, there's consequences that go with it. God has no favorites. Ephesians 5, Paul uses the same roadmap, wives admit husbands love. In Ephesians 6, he says the same thing about kids, you need to obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. It's the right thing to do. Then he says this, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life here on earth. Paul goes back to the 10 commandments that God gave to Moses and the children of Israel. And what made this one of the Ten Commandments unique is it comes with a promise that if you choose to honor, even when they don't deserve it, if you choose to honor, things will go well for you. Like you'll never go wrong if you choose to honor. Look, you don't know my sorry two-bit dad that left us and blah, blah, blah. You don't understand how crazy my mama is. You're right. I don't know how crazy your mama is. However, I do know there is no exclusion clause in this verse. It does not say, honor your dad if he deserved it. Some of you have parents, it's very easy to honor your parents. Like, you look back when you were 12 and you're like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry, mama. You know, oh baby, it's fine. You know, some of you have parents, it's very easy, but there are some of you in the room. 
that when I talk about this, it's even triggering stuff for you. Like, you just don't understand how dysfunctional, and listen, I'm just telling you, you'll never go wrong with honor. Like, even if your parents made mistakes, you can still honor. You do not have to broadcast to the world what sorry human beings they were. You can rise above. You can show that the grace and the mercy of God that was extended to you for your mistakes, it's working in you, it's healing you, and you can rise above and be a better person and still choose honor. Let me be clear. Honor does not mean I have to put myself back in a place of harm. There are some of your parents, they still dysfunctional. You need clear boundaries, but I can set those boundaries with honor. I don't have to trash talk them. I don't have to allow their unhealthy behaviors into my life or around my children, if that's just your situation. I don't have to speak ill of them. I can just choose to honor. My mama used to tell me, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. No, mama didn't tell me that. Horace told me that. My mom did tell me. If you don't have something good to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. Sometimes mama was right. Maybe you can just honor by not saying anything at all. Maybe you honor by focusing on the good. Maybe you honor by not speaking ill of them. Just choose to honor even when you don't feel like it. Even at work, because Paul addresses this. And your boss don't know anything, you know? And he only got the job because he's somebody's brother-in-law. I can't believe how ridiculous they are. This is so dumb they ask us to do this. Listen, <laughs> um, everybody say, I love BK. Most of my professional mistakes that I made revolve around this principle. If we could just turn the cameras off for a minute, this story does not need to go public for just a second. This does not need to be the highlight reel this week, all right? So, um, years, 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 20 some plus years ago, I had a boss, he was a big OU fan, and this was in the 90s, okay? And I was finishing up my degree at Oklahoma State or whatever, and so we, we liked to banter. And at the time, I mean, there was that one time when OSU was better than OU, you remember that? That one time, that one year? Right, and so he was just making me mad. He was talking about how bad we were, and I'm like, we just beat you. I don't even, you know, and, and I just got mad, and I said, you can kiss my butt. I wish I hadn't said that. It wasn't very honoring. Some of you are blushing right now. My pastor talked like that, oh my God. I kind of wanted that one back. And others. Or just, you'll never go wrong with choosing to honor won't. There's power in honor. Even if I don't understand, I can choose to honor. In a lot of those circumstances, honor means obedience. It's what Paul says. Kids, honor your parents, obey. It'll work. It's, you're just going to have to trust that their 40 years of life knows more than your 14 years of life. There are times when those who are in authority over you, they may ask you to do something. And, and if it is immoral, if it is harmful, if it goes against the law or company policy or biblical standard, there are times to take a stand, but not based on your opinion, not based upon what you are willing or not willing to do. Then we just need to choose to honor. Kids, choose to obey. But you, my parents are so dorky. I get it. My kids live with the same struggle. It's fine. You won't believe what my boss asked me to do, and he's just gone all the time. I don't even know where he goes. 
and we're the ones here running the company. We're the ones that know how everything works, you know, and who knows what he's off doing. I don't know. Listen, don't pretend to know the pressure that they're under. Don't pretend you know what it's like to walk in their shoes and carry their stress. There is power when you honor, and this is going to be hardest when those in your circle come around you and they are dishonoring and they want to pull you into that conversation and it's so easy to give in to griping and complaining and negativity. I'm just here telling you, choose to honor. It will go well for you. I love how Paul wraps this up. Little pastor one day was finishing his sermon. He was preaching, preaching, preaching. He said, in conclusion, little boy was sitting by his daddy one day. He goes, daddy, what's in conclusion mean? Looked at his boy and he goes, absolutely nothing. Somebody going to use that? It's fine. It's free. It wasn't mine to begin with. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. Like, talk about who your real boss is. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. You are a servant Christ, you wear his name. You're a witness in everything you do at school, on the team, at work. So please, don't go blowing up your boss every time you disagree with the decision they make. Don't go gossiping, talking bad about your boss and your authority, right? Don't go around acting a fool. And then try to share Jesus with someone. Girl, you have got to go to church with me. It's so good. Because clearly, that thing that Jesus has... It ain't working for you. Live your life as Jesus as your master, a life fully submitted to Christ, choose to honor, recognize it's the name of Jesus that you carry and you represent. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, If this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.